Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And a good evening to Shannon Van Sant, who's in Hong Kong, where she is a uh, a reporter and a documentary filmmaker. She's done work for a whole bunch of organizations. In fact, her resume and my resume look oddly the same. Uh, the CBS News, The Economist, France 24, PBS NewsHour, CNN, and the BBC are just a small list of, uh, of all some of the different organizations that she's reported to over the years from China, but also, interestingly, from Africa. And the reason why Shannon's joining us today is for some reporting that she did last fall in the Comoros Islands. And uh, I know, I mean, this is for me, I had to do this too. I, was, I knew I've heard of the Comoros Islands, but I had no idea where they were. So it was a quick kind of journey over to, to Wikipedia to look it in. So uh, we're going to talk about the Comoros Islands and what the Chinese are doing there. But uh, welcome to the show for the first time, Shannon. Thank you very much. So let's get started by talking about uh, the Comoros Islands and where they are. Again, I had to go to Wikipedia. I assume most of you don't know where the Comoros Islands are. They're a former French colony with a population of just about a million people located off the coast of Africa on the Indian Indian Ocean. Now, it's east of Mozambique, northwest of Madagascar. So picture Madagascar off the coast of eastern Africa and then head up a little bit. And there it is. Now, it's a tiny little chain of islands. There are about three islands. Uh, and it's the third smallest country in all of Africa, uh, but also one of the poorest with just about uh, about half the population living below the international poverty line of about $1.25 a day. Now, here's what's interesting about the Comoros. And this, I think, is going to be one of the indications of why we're talking about it today. It's the only African country that's a member of the African Union, Francophonie, the Organization of Islamic Conference, known as the OIC, and the Arab League. And I think that goes to its incredibly diverse population, and its strategic location. So last fall, Shannon uh, went down to the Comoros for CBS News, where she did some reporting there. And we're going to talk about the two key issues that she addressed in her coverage. But let's get started first with one of her reports that she did for, for CBS News Television in the United States, where she highlights the difference between what the Americans are doing in the Comoros and what the Chinese are doing. America's most visible investment here is a small library of English books. But in a nation as small and poor as this, the huge Chinese investment is changing lives. They have solutions for big problems. Problems like regular power outages. China is building a power plant. Health centers on most islands are sparsely equipped cement block rooms. China regularly sends teams of doctors to the country and is building a modern eight-story hospital. The Chinese are paving roads, building new schools, new mosques, new government buildings, a new airport, a center to facilitate tourism to the country, even new homes for politicians. Local TV and radio stations were designed and built by China. And last month, China announced a $2 million gift to the Comoros to build a new sports stadium. It all amounts to very visible reminders of the nation's benefactors in Beijing. Shannon, that is a huge list of things that the Chinese are doing. And in many ways, it's typical of what the Chinese are doing in much larger countries. Did it take you by surprise that here we are in a little speck of Africa off the coast that you need a magnifying glass to see on a map, that there they were, the Chinese, in such a prominent presence? 
It, it, I found it very surprising. Initially, this started out as purely a study of malaria eradication, a soft power by the Chinese government. But of course, as my research on the story uh, began and I actually traveled to the country, I, I found that China is is literally shaping almost every single aspect of people's lives there. And in a place that is so poor and so impoverished, really China's investment and their gifts to the country are, are changing everyone's life. You know, you, you kind of listening to your report, it didn't it didn't particularly surprise me that the Americans don't pay a lot of attention to the Comores because I mean, why would they? I suppose the issue is more is why is China paying so much attention? Um, I was wondering, um, how do you locate this in the the context of the wider Indian Ocean? You know, there's been a lot of reporting over the last while that China is, you know, kind of enlarging its presence in the Indian Ocean. There's lots of talk about about um, naval bases on, on several of, of um, the Comoros' um, island neighbors. Um, do you, is the, does that, does Chinese engagement there fit in with a wider Indian Ocean kind of strategy? Yeah, what former diplomats and a former ambassador to the region told me is that this is a new great game for the Indian Ocean, and that these islands are actually incredibly strategically significant, just like Mauritius and the seashells and, and other places there in the Indian Ocean. It's a key shipping route. There are gas reserves that were just recently found off the coast of Mozambique, and it's very likely that some of those oil and gas reserves are also uh, near the Comoros as well. And and also a, a former U.S. ambassador to the region also told me that the Comoros Islands are perfectly situated to be a listening post uh, for different countries. That means that they can easily listen in on satellite conversations uh, from that part of the Indian Ocean. So these... This, this part of the world has long been of strategic importance. Of course, it used to be a French colony. The French still uh, maintain control of one of the islands in the Comoros. The U.S. has a presence nearby in the seashells. And, uh, and while these islands, no, nobody knows where they are, what they are, uh, there are countries that are paying attention. And I think even though you you know you may say, well, it's no surprise that the U.S. is not investing in the Comoros. It's this tiny piddly little country. Uh, I, I guess what I found is that in my other travels throughout Africa, I was noticing that the Chinese presence and and the presence and, and impact on, on local Africans' lives uh, really dwarfed that of the United States and some of the countries I've been to. Well, it dwarfs it in, in a couple of different ways. And I think, again, going back to your reporting, you said that, you know, America's most visible investment here is a small library of English books. And yet the Chinese investments, as quoted by some of the people you talked to, is changing lives. And it's this very tangible type of investment that they're doing, roads, hospitals, uh, airports, stadiums, and things that people can feel and touch and really has an improvement to their lives. So I, I wonder in the soft power game, uh, do people look at all of these changes in the physical investment that the Chinese are making and saying, this is great, but at the same time, you also allude to the presence potentially, and I'm not sure if it's confirmed or not, of Chinese fishing fleets off the coast, which are, you know, probably drift net fishing massive amounts of fish and maybe impoverishing people even further by virtue of, by, by virtue of taking away their livelihood. So again, we see the complexities of the Chinese in Africa here, but certainly how does it play out on the ground in terms of public perception of the Chinese, say, compared to both the French and the Americans? Well, I 
Every gift, as we know, has a cost. Nothing comes for free. And the government officials in the Comoros that I met with, uh, they know that, and they spoke about that. But the cost for the average person, the average Comoran, is is way down the road because right now you're dealing with a population that suffers from food scarcity, that suffered tremendously from malaria, um, uneducated. It's really one of the most impoverished nations I've been to in Africa. And, and so they're incredibly grateful. They have roads, they have schools, they have a new mosque, they have medicine and hospitals and a new power plant. I, I, their lives really are, are being transformed um, by China, Chinese investment. And whatever longer term cost that may present, it, it's a cost that they're willing to to pay right now. But, but I think I think the worrisome, worrisome thing for me and, and for other observers of this is that those costs are sometimes hidden from the average person. Like you said, Chinese fishing boats have been overfishing the fish stocks off the coast, robbing people of their livelihoods. And that kind of cost is is kind of could potentially slowly creep into people's lives. Maybe at some point years down the road, people will ask, is this worth it? But I have to say, another thing I thought that was very interesting about the Comoros is that the history of French colonialism there was so incredibly violent. There was a man uh, named Bob Denard. He's a French mercenary. He, he died just a couple of years ago. And he overthrew the government of the Comoros four times, most recently in 1995, where he allegedly assassinated the president and I think the vice president, I can't remember which. So, and he took over the country personally. So people, when I was in, in the country, uh, they spoke of this man, Bob Denard, as they said he created a nightmare for their lives. He was incredibly violent. And and they view the French and the French history there in, in the most hor- horrific uh, terms. So they, they do not trust Westerners. Uh, they, they trust China over any Western country any day. And France really set the Comoros up right now as a place that is very welcome and very receptive to Chinese investment because it presents an alternative to Europe and to the United States. That is so interesting. I mean, it's. I remember that incident in 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 the mid nineties because the Comoros is also is a is a, a tourism destination for South Africans. I remember this kind of scramble to evacuate South Africans in the last Bob Denard, uh, scan, you know, kind of a crisis. But you know, kind of it's it's so interesting that there's so little awareness of of this kind of bad image of of the West in the West. You know, kind of so frequently the West is so content to think of itself as as having this completely benign image in Africa. Um, and it's not true. <laughs> so it's really interesting to hear that. Yeah, that's right. And and I thought I thought it was quite interesting. And and I think I think it's something we all have to keep in mind, whether we're journalists or investors or diplomats, that we're walking into into some countries in Africa, the Comoros being an extreme example, which has really suffered uh, so greatly be- because of colonialism. And and when I was first reading about Denard, I was just fascinated by a story. And then when I really got on the ground in the Comoros and I, I, I realized just the dev- devastation and the havoc that he wreaked, wrought in people's lives, um, I, I, I can understand why they would uh, be so thankful for an alternative, really, to, to the West. 
Before we get on to the malaria story, which is also another interesting side of this and which what you said you originally went out there for, let me just ask you the the simple question now. And again, this is about semantics, and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but in both our discussion today as well as in your reporting, you use the word gift uh, to to describe what the Chinese have been doing. Um, And as you also pointed out, nothing's free in this world. The Chinese aren't giving all of this stuff to the to the Comorons because they like them and they feel like there's, you know, they just want to be nice. They're doing it because there's obviously some self-interest there. What do you think the Chinese want out of the Comoros? After all the things that you saw on the ground there, after all the people you spoke with, what do you think is their agenda there? Well, I think the Chinese think very long term. And, and I, I, that's, that's one answer to your question. The second answer is that I think that the majority of Chinese investors in Africa and in the Comoros are individual entrepreneurs or uh, company owners, and and they're coming up with their own ideas, and and Africa is available to them to test their products. And and as as a new market, one of the Chinese scientists that I was talking to from this pharmaceutical company in the Comoros, they said, Africa is the next place. It's the new market. They said Africa is where we were in China in the 1980s. And uh, and they're very excited to have this as a place to try out their new ideas and their innovations. So so I think that you know that that, that that's that's part of the answer there. No. And um yeah. Now, now, Cobus, let me put the same question to you. Now, I know you're not a Comoros expert in any way, but when you look at what Shannon's reporting is, and we started digging into this topic, what do you think the Chinese, what's the driving reason for it? Is it the natural gas, the security, is it a little bit of everything? Because there's obviously no headlines that they're going to get out of their investments in the Comoros, except for Shannon, of course. But what do you think is their agenda there? Um, you know, I, uh, the more I, I read about China-Africa relations, the more I think that it, it, it's very seldomly one reason. I think it's it's exactly this the the amount of good reasons all layered on top of each other. So it's both a strategic reason and possibly you know kind of a, a soft power whammy if they if you know in relation to to malaria and you know kind of and new markets and you know kind of having growing influence in the in the francophone sphere. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think the more of those reasons that pile up, the more the more willing China is to go. You know, it's you know China is, has such a such a complex and and multilateral in you know integrated integrated kind of approach to Africa now, that the more bases they can cover, you know, kind of in a particular African country, the better. So I think you know kind of it's exactly the the reason is that there are so many reasons. Yeah. Um. And you know, and I think that's true for for their engagement in other places as well. It's absolutely that's very good insights. Hey, Shannon, let's now kind of shift gears here and go, go to the, the reason why you actually went to the Comoros, which was to kind of do a story on, on, on malaria. Now, for anybody who talks or lives and or studies Africa, malaria is, is one of the worst killers that exist even to this day. And, I, you know, a lot of us when we live there have to take medication for those who can afford it. And obviously those who can't afford it suffer uh, from it. So the Chinese are doing a very, very controversial experiment there. And tell us a little bit about a professor by the name of Li Guoqiao from Guangzhou University of Chinese Medicine. Li Guoqiao is a very well-respected, very famous scientist. And he was one of the first to come up with or to, to research artemisinin, uh, which is a Chinese, started as a Chinese herbal treatment and is now one of the frontline 
treatments used to treat malaria. So he was one of the researchers in Normal uh, back in the 1970s, I believe, that that found found that this was effective in, in treating malaria. And he's a very creative man, and he has come up with this idea to use an artemisinin combination drug to treat malaria, but but to, he believes that if you isolate populations and you give everybody the same drug and you take malaria out of the population, then mosquitoes will no longer be able to carry malaria from person to person because nobody will have it. So he thinks if, if you're able to do this over and over again with isolated populations in places like Africa, you can eradicate malaria from the country or from the continent, I should say. And um, so, so yeah. How does this? How does this link to the Com- to the Comoros? Like, what what does this project in what is it, what does the project in the Comoros actually entail? Well, what they did was they have a a, a combination therapy. They call it Artiquick, and it's developed by a pharmaceutical company in China, and called Artifarm. That's the, the parent. Uh, company's name. And they have taken this new drug, which is relatively untested, and they have given it to the entire population of the Comoros, which is almost uh, 800,000 people. And they gave it to each island all at once. And, uh, and then they studied the side effects of the drug, and they studied how effectively they were able to eliminate the disease from the population. So what they found was that the side effects were quite severe. I shouldn't say they, well, they haven't acknowledged that they found side effects, but the WHO studied the side effects and and the side effects were quite severe, including vomiting, uh, women lactating who weren't pregnant, uh, fainting, uh, people, a lot, many people having to go to the emergency room. That's one thing I observed. Uh, but, but these scientists didn't succeed in eliminating malaria from the country. Okay. Well, I mean, that's something huge. And let's just be upfront here. They did it in, in conjunction with the government here. So there was nothing underhanded about this. I mean, it was a, I mean, a national experiment where the entire country got an un, unlicensed, untested Chinese drug. I mean, holy crap, that just seems like the the risk of the century. I mean, imagine if this thing was a disaster. You could potentially devastate your country and your population. I mean, that's why you, you talked to some other scientists, uh, and they said this was radical and, and highly controversial. I mean, it's never really been done before. I mean, if you can imagine a Western pharmaceutical company doing this, the conspiracy theories would just be out of control. Absolutely. And and I should say that Western pharmaceutical companies have done this. There was a, just a few years ago, Pfizer did a mass experiment in Nigeria. So so we, we do this as well. But it is still it's incredibly controversial. And uh, but I think what what really appealed to me about this story is that the fact that it was it is so completely unethical to do this. <laughs> but yet they managed to do something which is incredible, which is eliminate malaria from the country. So it, it, and I think I come to this over and over again in many stories I report on China, which is sometimes in China, people have really big ideas and they, they come about these ideas or, um, enact them in incredibly unethical ways, but yet 
in the end, sometimes they're able to do something that's really quite incredible. So it just begs this question, is it worth it? Is it, is it actually okay to be unethical if it means to eliminate malaria from a huge population? And it should be noted, Cobus, as well, that they're doing something very similar, of course, not on the same scale in Western Africa, with unlicensed, untested Ebola drugs. So they say, uh, you know, can, if not cure, but at least stop the, the effects of Ebola. Yeah, and I mean, you know, in in that case, it was also it it was this this, this the, making the balance between this kind of jump into you know into the void on the one hand, and then the kind of Western dithering and and you know kind of experiments and trials and and so on, you know, kind of while the Ebola crisis is is escalating. So yeah, it, it was a difficult kind of choice to make, I think. But but Shannon, you can understand people's skepticism in part because China is the source. China and India of the source of more than I mean, there's probably not a, a specific number that I can give, but a lot of the counterfeit fake drugs that come into Africa come from China. And so I can imagine a lot of people being very skeptical about the quality of the drugs that are coming into places like like the Comoros. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, as you say, it's a very valid concern. But these scientists said to me, what, Song Jianping, who helped lead the experiment, he said to me when I first met to him, met, met with him, he said, you know, in China, and, and we here, our, our group of scientists, we believe that the end justifies the means. And he says, you in the West, you're too focused on the means and on the process. And and I thought that was very true. He said, he said we're going to get the job done, even if we have to have to do some things in the process that aren't approved of by the West, but we're going to get it done. And he made the point, y'all will never get it done because you, you have too much regulation. And that really, so, in many ways, Cobus, sums up the difference between the Western approach and the Chinese approach. Yeah, yeah. It, it's And it's, I mean, you know, as, as Shannon said, I mean, China has, has big ideas, you know, and, and, and to a certain extent that that is one of, one of the problems is, especially in relation to Africa, there's been a bit of an ideas deficit coming from the West. Um, Shannon, um, so recently, you know, you recently published an article in The Economist, um, you know, about about this this malaria um, experiment, and then um, the China Africa expert Deborah Broutingham wrote a response to it, um, in which she praised the article, you know, kind of a, a lot, and then um, you know, kind of she she added she added three questions that she said, you know, kind of that that she would appreciate kind of further information on. So I was wondering if you, you know, kind of if I could just mention them to you. One is to which extent are the side effects monitored in a systemic way? In the second place, um, are the participants giving in fully informed consent? And then in the third place, um, like what is the links between the Chinese Ministry of Health and the particular drug company that, that is doing the, the experiment? Yeah, well, the, the answers to all three of those questions by Deborah are basically no. <laughs> the, the side <laughs> effects were not monitored systematically, and this is one of the WHO's uh, top criticisms of this whole uh, project by, by these Chinese scientists. Uh, they were not monitored in a systematic or rigorous way, and you had masses of people who were going to the emergency room complaining of severe side effects. And, and like I said, bizarre side effects like women lactating who were not pregnant. And, uh, and there was no sort of rigorous and um, controlled and organized monitoring of these side effects. And also the Chinese scientists didn't really report these side effects, especially the more severe ones, publicly. And they also took all of their test results with them and just took them back to China to analyze. They didn't uh, allow the local government officials from the Comoros or, or local health officials 
hospitals to review the information they had. Um, they, they took it all back with them back to China, which is also very unusual and, and unethical. And the second question you asked... Uh, informed well, consent. Uh, informed consent, that's right. Uh, no, the, the people were not given allowed to make informed consent. They were not given full information on the mass experiment. They weren't given, they weren't warned enough about the side effects. Uh, when they started to experience severe side effects, there was a tremendous amount of fear in the local population. Some people believed that their relatives had died after taking the drug. Some people refused to take the drug again. Uh, so they were not told of potential side effects. They were not. They were also not told of the potential long-term risk of the project, which included increased resistance to the drug. It also included uh, creating the conditions possibly for a mass epidemic and return of malaria down the road in which many more people could be killed. So they weren't told of that. <laughs> and and then the uh, the third one, tell me again your third question. Sorry, it's is been a long the, time. What, what is the link between the Chinese Minister of Health and the drug company administering the trial? Well, the Ministry of Commerce funded the bulk of the experiment. That's that's what I was told by the scientists early on, is that the, China's Ministry of Commerce was, was funding the bulk of the experiment. Now, this is, from my research, this is not entirely uncommon, that China's Ministry of Commerce, they just fund a lot of projects related to Africa. So... Uh, you know, it can arouse some suspicion here, uh, but but this is this is a project of commerce because they're they're marketing a new drug, and the company, the pharmaceutical company that's selling this drug, is already marketing it. They say they're marketing it in South America, throughout Africa, and and in these parts of the world. So it is something that that some people tend to make money off of. You know, Cobus, I'm a pretty jaded guy. I've been in journalism now for 25 years. But honestly, and, and I've been doing the China-Africa thing now for, what, over six years now. This is the most messed up thing I have ever heard of. <laughs> I mean, this is mind-boggling in, in the lunacy of it all. Shannon, it's just, it's incredible to hear what you're saying. I mean, like... It takes the cake of anything that, like, Howard French wrote about in his book or – I don't – there's no story that tops this one in all of China, Africa. <laughs> I mean, it's just – it's crazy. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I am literally blown away by it. I, and that doesn't happen very often. I don't think anybody who's listened to this show can ever recall a time where I said, I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. And, I mean, of course, I mean, the, the stakes are so high in I mean, both directions. For the entire because, country. Because if it works, if it works, then, you know, and you, they actually do eradicate it and they then actually manage to actually implement it in Africa, it, the, the repercussions could be amazing. I know, but you've you know, got to do it the right. Amount, like, eradicating malaria from Africa would be incredible. Absolutely. But then the risks, oh, my I goodness. I know, but that's <laughs> – I mean, it's just – the risk, the way they're going about it, and again, those of us who've lived in China know China, and Shannon, you know this full well, you know, they're not known for their quality control and their kind of double-blind study methods and all the other kind of ways of doing things that ensure proper methodology. And the way that you've described it is, is frankly, it's terrifying. And I, I really feel bad for people who didn't have the information available and couldn't kind of withdraw themselves from this experiment. Yeah, I think for for me, it's just it's a study of just extraordinary poverty and how you just have these people in, in countries like the Comoros and they, they simply just don't have very much leverage. And even with, with all of the most horrible things that come with this experiment, for them, 
it's it's just one of the many things that China is doing to improve their lives, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, of course, we would never accept this in our community. No, and yeah, I mean, improve is a is a really loaded relative word in the case of this of this drug, because obviously, for the people who are suffering the the side effects, their lives are not being improved. Uh, nonetheless, it, it is really, again, this tiny little speck of an island off the coast of Africa is really in many ways a showcase for everything that is great, terrifying, uh, exciting, scary about the Chinese in Africa. And I think, Shannon, you've done some really excellent reporting. Uh, if you'd like to follow what Shannon's doing, we're going to put some links, especially on our Chinafile website. Uh, if you go to Chinafile.com and follow our podcast there, we put kind of reference links. And I'll put links to both of Shannon's articles and her video from the Comoros. It's fascinating reading. It's very, very interesting. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Now, what we'd like to do at the end of every show is kind of encourage people to check out some of the things that you're doing and what you're reading and writing. What's the best way for people to follow you on social media? Well, they can follow uh, yeah, me via, via Twitter or Facebook. It's just Shannon uh, Van Sant. And I have some of my documentaries uploaded to Vimeo. So I have that web, web link on my Facebook and Twitter page as well. Fantastic. And Cobus, what's the best way for people Thank to stay so in touch with you? You, um, can, you can see me on our Facebook page, which is China, right, facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well. I'm at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. I'm tweeting the top China and Africa headlines almost every day. And also on Facebook as well. We're at 260,000 followers from all over the world. Got a great conversation going on over there. Cobus and I are updating the page almost 24 hours a day. So uh, it's just, again, it's just like a giant news feed that you can follow if you want to stay on top of the headlines. And everybody, don't forget, we've just launched our new email newsletter that goes out every Monday with you know top stories, podcasts, quotes of the week, re academic research papers that we find. We curate the best of the web, kind of package it up and send it out to you. Shannon, I unceremoniously put you on our list, so I hope you don't mind. Uh, so you've, you're, you got an email, in fact, today in the mail from us uh, with, the, with the newsletter. Uh, but if you'd like to sign up, anybody else would like to sign up for it, it's oh, just go to our webpage at ChinaAfricaProject.com. And, uh, of course, if you want to follow this podcast, just head over to iTunes, search for China Africa Project, and uh, go ahead and, and just, uh, subscribe, and we'll be there every week as well. So we'll be back again soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.